Hello, Slate Plus. Hope you guys had a good week. We are going to talk this week about these two free speech Supreme Court cases. So in one of them, the Supreme Court struck down what's called the disparagement clause in um, the federal trademark law. And the idea here was that lawyers in the trademark offices were rejecting trademark applications if someone wanted to trademark a disparaging set of words. The plaintiff who won in this case um, and persuaded the court to strike down this disparagement clause is Simon Tan of uh, an Asian American group called the Slants. The trademark office told him that this name of this group was disparaging to Asian Americans, offensive to them. He said, wait a second, I'm trying to reclaim an ethnic slur for you to tell me about how to use this kind of language. And the court said this was absolutely a persuasive argument. The main opinion is by Justice Alito. And what he talks about is a rejection of the idea that to grant a trademark is itself an act of government speech. Um, Alito says if the government was talking every time it granted a trademark, then it would be constantly babbling incoherently. Um, in other words, every time people hear the slants, they don't think like, oh, that's the U.S. government because those folks have a trademark. Um, the other part of this case is that it's not just going to apply to um, nice folks like Simon Tam. It's also going to help the Washington football team keep their name, the Redskins, um, that have been challenged as a trademark. Now, surely they will win that case. And essentially, these very subjective judgment calls that were getting made in the trademark office about what's disparaging and offensive and what's not, that's just like all gone. So does that seem like a perfectly reasonable outcome to you guys? Do you think people do think the government is talking when they grant a trademark? I think it's reasonable. Reasonable decision. <laughs> I don't think the country thinks I don't think the country thinks they're talking. Uh, I think it, it, it Does it seem at all weird that there are no boundaries here? Like now you could trademark basically any expression? Well, isn't that I mean it just feels better to have the market to create the boundary. And uh and have people, yeah. you know, okay, go ahead and try and sell your whatever it is, your band or your product and have the, because I think also, it, well, either A, you know, rise and fall on the market. And also I'm, I'm, I'm on, I'm, I, I think people should be forced to confront what they're signing up for or signing up to by supporting things that might be offensive to other people, as opposed to having the government sort of take care of it for them. Because your skill at paying attention to yeah. things atrophies if somebody else takes care of it for you. Right. I'm totally on that side. The other thing is the government was sunk by the reporting about um, what was actually going on in the trademark office, which was like totally inconsistent. Planet Money did this great segment. One of the terms they talked about was Hebe. but there was a magazine called Hebe, And so a Jewish lawyer was asked in the office, like, hey, do you think this is disparaging? And she said, huh, well, I subscribe to that magazine. But yeah, I don't think my grandmother would like that. And so like he magazine didn't oh, get his trademark. That just sort of can't be the right answer. The grandma rule, the grandma standard. We have the seven, the the Kabbalistic seven standard in the other case. And here we have the grandma stand, Jewish grandma standard. <laughs> exactly. The what the lawyer in the trademark office. Their grandma. Their cranky or not so cranky relative. Exactly. So the other free speech case seems like it's different, but it was also a victory for free speech and a kind of expanding First Amendment. North Carolina had a law that very broadly prohibited registered sex offenders from using social media. So they couldn't get on sites like Facebook and comment, but they also couldn't comment on like a news site. And this is an opinion by Justice Kennedy in which he makes grand statements about the internet as a kind of public square and says that it just is 
going way too far to say that people who committed a sex offense can't be part of that conversation in any way. Um, to me, again, this seems like a clearly right answer. But do you guys think that a more narrowly crafted law that said that sex offenders, you know, maybe for the rest of their lives shouldn't be allowed to be on any sites where there are kids? Like, should could North Carolina go back and try this again? Or should we recognize that people who've gone to prison need to be able to use social media because it's such an important communication tool in our lives? I don't know. I, I, I On one hand, I get what they're trying to do, but I just... I have such an expansive attitude toward the First Amendment that any of this kind of stuff makes me deeply, deeply uneasy. <laughs> yeah, I guess I feel the same way. I mean, certainly you don't want people to be allowed to solicit sex from children online, but we right. already have laws against that. I And I also worry that whenever you select registered sex offenders as a group to legislate against, they have, are so politically vulnerable, you can kind of do anything you want. And so it seems to me like this is exactly where we need courts to stand up for people's individual also, rights. Um, and this is a court decision. Sorry, yeah. even if it hadn't been struck down like how is that enforceable like how technologically how would you even do that how would you keep north carolina actually prosecuted like a thousand people because if you made a comment on a website and they knew you were a registered sex offender like the cops were spending time watching people apparently you say the state has been successful in prosecuting a bunch of these but that's still fascinating to me because in many other cases for example in cases of online harassment, which we've seen a lot of in this last, you know, uh, couple of years, they uh, they have a incredibly hard time prosecuting these people because of things like proxies and Tor and all these ways you can mask yourself online. And then even if they find the com exact computer that made that. Uh, disparaging, harassing, solicitous of m sex for minors comment, it's very hard to prove that, you know, John Smith, registered sex offender or whoever was sitting at the computer at that time and sent that comment. So how how come they could do that with the sex offenders, but not with, you know, online bullies, for example? It seems incredibly hard to prosecute, which is, I think, a good thing. Well, right. So that would be an argument, too, against striking down the statute, because if you have a law where, like, the better you are at um, devising some fake identity for yourself, you can get around it. But if you're just trying to use Facebook to, like, apply for a job or um, talk to your friends, then you get yourself into trouble. That just seems like the wrong people to be yep. going after. All right, let's end our Slate Plus segment there. Thank you all for listening and uh, have a great week. Bye, Slate Plus.